Welcome to Monster Porn, Weird Fiction and Horror Podcast, the podcast where the corpses exhibit rigor mortis. Or are they just happy to see you? This week's story, Two Sadded Sarah, by Matt Cummins. I could use your assistance, your counsel. Are you aware of the energy vortex, where the ley lines intersect? At such a place, at times, great beings may appear, or else terrible things be summoned. There's one such great, wonderful being. Uh Uh-huh. And where is this energy vortex? It is just north of the witch's circle, right before the confluence of the rivers. The city park? That sacrilege is built upon the ley lines, yes. Albeit only by the clumsy and careless hands of men. But listen. There I have sighted a creature of great beneficence. Twice on Tuesdays, as the earth besets the sun. And in English, we call that sunset. Yes, though sunset is not the same from one solstice to the next, is it? I... I guess it's, uh, what, what are you trying to say? (sighs) Oh, what a beautiful and terrible life. When I witness this apparition coming along the path, my, my limbs are seized with shaking. Oh. And I suffer strange and sudden dehydration of my vocal cords. Ah. Uh-huh. And a certain turgidity of the nethers, I suppose. Yes, Matt, that was odd. You must know this holy apparition. We nearly spoke the same language there for a moment. I speak very small amounts of British from time to time. Anyways, tell me about this apparition at the energy vortex and why it concerns me. You see, I've tried the usual occult operations, the spells of... of attraction. Yet none of them seem to take hold. Her spirit seems too powerful for such simple speech. So I've landed upon another plan. Matt, I've seen the way that your daughters... You are not borrowing my daughters to go pick up on the apparition. What? No, of course not. I was going to say, I've seen how they adore the pig. I require puggles. The women of your household seem to enjoy scratching his ears. Oh, if only this holy creature would scratch behind my ears like so. Brett, just say it. There's a babe jogging at the park, and you want puggles to help you try and talk to her. I must understand this holy apparition. I must interact, study the parts that make her her. Ow, God Damn it, that's creepy, Brett. Studying her... What? Man, just... Just take the pigs. If you... Puggles, do you want to? He just nodded. Oh, great. Now my pig is nodding and responding to questions, and you're about to take him to go sexually harass a holy apparition? I think I'm going to stick around here for a while, and... Record the next story. When Sarah awoke, her dreams lingered. She was in a hospital bed and someone was laughing, but then she rolled over and saw a copy of Cosmopolitan lying on the mahogany nightstand next to her bed. Her nightstand. Her bed. The sanitized smell and echoing footfalls of doctors walking down long corridors faded. A moment later, she couldn't remember that she dreamt at all. Her muscles ached and were stiff as she pulled herself out of bed and slipped off her gray t-shirt. She wasn't feeling very spry for being only 28, 
But when you've been pregnant, and no matter for how long, and you eat scones and drink mochas every day, your ass only has two choices, fat or flat. Unfortunately, hers had been a greedy ass, and had chosen both. To battle this, she'd taken up running. As she dressed, she turned to look at her butt in her full-sized mirror. She wore spandex shorts, which didn't look so bad when she rose up onto her calves and flexed. Twenty-two again, she thought, and then she relaxed and things sagged back to twenty-eight. She thought she was looking a little better. Body parts were beginning to revolt against gravity. Part of her wished that this could be a metaphor for the rest of her life, but another part of her wanted to give in. She found it odd that part of her could feel like her life was picking up speed while another part of her felt a massive, growing inertia. The new Sarah liked the way things were going and at times felt great. Then she would feel worse, but also excited. Her life was, for her extramarital affairs, becoming a hot mess. In the breakfast nook, she found evidence that her husband Jake had been home. There was a crumb-speckled plate on the table, raspberry Pop-Tart wrappers on the floor, and coffee splatters all over the counter. Thanks, sweetie, she thought. In moments like these, the old Sarah felt justified in stepping out on him. The television was left on, along with several lights, but according to Jake, the man who pays the bills can do whatever he wants, and the woman who picks up after him can screw whoever she wants, Sarah thought, but didn't allow herself to smile. A mustachioed news anchor with slicked-over black hair was reporting, Attacked by her rose bushes. Well, Sally, they come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? There's been an increase in the wacky this week. Maybe that has to do with the wacky tobacco they've legalized in our neighboring state. Then again, maybe not. In other news, the meteor shower is still going strong and will be visible again tonight. She turned off the power with the remote and realized that it was already after 4 o'clock. She had slept through most of the day again. Well, Jake wanted you to stay home, remember, she thought. Then, speaking to the blank television, she said, Don't care what you have to say, Billy Bronson of Channel 3 Nightly News, in her best news anchor voice, and then added, Now, ladies, who wants a mustache ride? That made her laugh. Her phone buzzed and half a message was visible on her locked iPhone screen. Message from Vince. Hey, baby, are you? She slid her finger across the screen and entered her password. The whole message opened. Going to be home tonight? I'll be in town again. She looked around the room as though she were afraid someone would see. Who gives a shit if Jake finds out, she thought. That was the new Sarah with thoughts about the new Jake. A year ago, she would have never considered an affair and would have never been indifferent about one. But she didn't allow herself the chance to be nostalgic. Yes, he'll be out, she typed into her phone. Her phone buzzed again. Okay, just text and I'll be there. Wear black this time. It'll match what I bought for you. She pressed to delete, but when the phone asked for confirmation, she'd already set it down and gone to the door. Images of their previous encounter reeled through her mind, his tall and tanned muscled figure standing over her, her tearing his shirt buttons open, the feeling of the vertical cabinet handles pressing into her clit as he bent her over the countertop. It was way better in every way than it had been with Jake who was too quick on the draw and who smelled like whiskey and cigarettes. Some nights, recently, she'd even began exploring chat rooms with her webcam, sites like Chat Roulette, where lonely men searched desperately for women only to catch glimpses of each other jerking off. No one showed their faces, but she loved to tease them. She'd give each one 30 seconds just to see if she could make it happen, and it usually worked. She only had to show her tits, and the stroking would increase to a jackhammer pace, especially the younger men. Sometimes she thought they were either going to break their balls or rip the sheath of skin clean off of their cocks. Occasionally, she'd click onto the next screen, and lordy lordy, she'd get a good chuckle at the cruelness of it and the depravity. The next day, she could hardly reconcile that she'd been up all night trolling the backwaters of the internet. It was as though she were remembering a movie or trying to visualize herself in the place of a story she'd been told by somebody else. I'm definitely going for a long run today, she thought as she considered that Vince was going to be there that night. She tried to mentally prep herself for the jog as she walked through the front door, but before she could make it, the old Sarah showed up. She sat down and cried. Honey, you all right? An old woman with short white curls asked, peering over her glasses. It was Mrs. Jones, she of the keen eye and the green thumb, the token neighborhood blue-haired busybody their next-door neighbor. 
It's just, you know, the, the time of the month, Sarah said. Mrs. Jones raised her eyebrows, as though she were surprised to hear that Sarah was capable of having a monthly. Sarah supposed that she had all the reason in the world to feel that way considering what had happened. God damn, Aunt Flo, someone should just shoot that old twat, especially after children, Mrs. Jones said, and then realized she just planted her foot squarely into her own mouth. Uh, what, what's with this grass? She changed the subject. I've mowed mine twice already this week. Uh, look at yours. She tipped her head at Sarah's yard, and Sarah looked. Sure enough, the grass in her yard was nearly ankle-deep, and Jake had just mowed it the week before. She shrugged, too distracted to worry about it, and absently said, Well, have a good one, Mrs. Jones, as she started to jog. Once she was jogging, her anxiety about working out and screwing strange men disappeared. There was something about getting a good sweat going while listening to music on her iPod that made her problems seem further away, a tad out of reach even. The jogging worked as an anesthetic, but just like a pain pill, eventually the effect wasn't what it once was. She'd push harder and purge herself of her thoughts by making her muscles tear and burn, but even then she'd find it was impossible to outrun a thought. So she'd quit jogging and start running. She'd run until her legs seized up and her lungs revolted if she had to. Every day her body became more resistant to the pain. On this particular day, she'd been doing fine until she ran past the park. James! She heard a child shouting as two kids played on a couple of old, rusty sand diggers. A small red-headed boy, with big ears and a dopey smile, slammed the head of the bucket into the sand, pumped his scrawny arms against the weight of the levers, and then, with a twist of his hips, tossed a scoop load of sand towards the kid next to him. Randy, Randy, eat some sandy, the boy said. The boy, James, she presumed, chanted and then repeated the action. The other kid was bigger, but his sand digger had a rusted pivot point. He pulled and pushed, but they wouldn't budge. Eat shit, Jimmy, Randy said as he leapt from the digger and chased Jimmy across the park. Sarah ran faster and faster and looked straight ahead, trying to ignore the laughter, but it didn't work. The tears were coming again and the memories flowed with them. The hospital, Jake lifting her from the car and rushing her inside. Nurses, doctors, so much blood. My God, she remembers thinking, it's like a Quentin Tarantino film starring my pussy. Pussy fiction, Snatch Unchained, Reservoir Twat. Reservoir Twat. That was the one that had made her laugh, and she laughed. She laughed as men and women in scrubs pushed her gurney down the hall and into the operating room. Who's to say who were the nurses and who was the doctor when all you could see was the reflection of the fluorescent lights on the blood pouring out of your insides? She cried as her jog slowed into a power walk and then to a stop. She was near the end of the subdivision, and she felt no urge to turn around and go back to the house, or maybe she'd see her husband before he went out to the bars. She didn't even want to see Vince. Part of her did, but that part of her was mostly quiet when she ran, but this morning's run was different. Today, she felt like a paper boat in a storm at sea, clinging to the surface but getting thrashed by the waves. She had three choices. She could jog along the side of the highway that connected the subdivision to town. She could turn around and go home. Or she could go down to the Burnwood jogging path. The highway was out. Too many wrecks happened along that stretch. She didn't want to end up as the bloodstain at the end of a long set of skid marks, or the face of an advertising campaign against drunk driving. She also wasn't going home. She was never really going home again if she thought about it. She resided there physically but it was beyond time that she admitted to herself that a fundamental change had taken place. Her current domestic life was a temporary situation. She turned off of the road and went under a small wooden archway that served as the entry to the path. She nearly had to duck to get under the vines as she broke out in a cold shiver as they brushed across her forehead like long, dead fingers. If she had lingered a moment longer, she would have seen a flash in a trail of smoke in the sky above her but she was well under the cover of the treetops. A few miles in front of her, along the path, a small meteorite made its way through the atmosphere and embedded itself into the asphalt without so much as a sound. A red car pulled up outside the small white house. 
A tall man with bright orange hair stepped out, shut the door, and then drank from a silver flask that was imprinted with the Crown Royal logo. Only he wasn't drinking Crown Royal. He was drinking Tin High, a cheaper bourbon, an alcoholic's bourbon. On the door, he found a note that read, Jake, out jogging, Sarah. Not even an I love you, he said to himself as he walked into the house. He stopped on the threshold and said, But no fuck you either. And that was a knee slapper, and it deserved a drink. He emptied the flask and went for the bottle. Inside, he found that the house was a little more picked up than it had been, and somewhere in the margins, he felt badly about that. But the margins seemed to disappear with each drink. He pulled a bottle of tin high whiskey from the cupboard in the kitchen and drank. Bottoms up, he thought. When he sat down on the sofa, he swung his leg onto the coffee table with a little too much zeal and sent a picture frame up into the air. He watched it shatter on the carpet. Oh, fuck, he said with his vowels and consonants bleeding into one another. He checked the bottle, and there was only half of it remaining. He picked the picture frame up off the floor. It was a picture of him and Sarah on their honeymoon in Oahu. How long has this been here? He thought, and he decided he didn't know. They looked happy. He in his white t-shirt with binoculars around his neck, and her in a blue bikini. She looked good. Her long caramel color filling out the bikini in the right places. Everything else tight and perfect. Jake had often thought couples tend to be a little similar looking. His friends who were all married had significant others who could have passed for family members. But he and Sarah only shared one common feature, bright blue eyes, which looked natural enough to him. But Sarah's great-grandfather had been black and her grandmother was Cherokee. Her eyes were an exotic fantasy that he'd been lost in from the first time they'd met. Even looking at the photo, they were so stunning that he had to take a drink. Next to her, he looked like a tourist taking a photo with a swimsuit model during a chance encounter at the beach. Even more so, he looked like Patrick off of SpongeBob SquarePants with his purplish sunburned skin. And she was his wife. Well, she had been anyways. With the way things had gotten, he wasn't so sure anymore. But things were always a little bit blurry when you were on the drink. Bottoms up. Marriage had been a smooth ride once. They were, at one point, madly in love. But then, one night, at a concert, the train of their lives had come off of the tracks. They were at a Rolling Stones concert in Denver, an investment they had made before they had found out that she was pregnant. Jake knew they shouldn't have gone. But it was the Stones. It was going to be his and Sarah's last hurrah. It would be the last chance, he'd said, to see the stones before Keith Richard shriveled up into a pile of dust, which would likely be pure cocaine in Jake's estimation. So they went. Jake ushered her through the doors of the arena with one arm draped over her shoulder. She'd told him at least twice that he was being overly protective. He knew that he was once they were at the venue. He also knew that she was too vulnerable to be in a place like that not to mention all of the cigarettes and weed that he could smell. This was a bad idea, he'd thought, as he led her up to the seats. They weren't on the ground floor, so they were a good distance away from the stage. They were only up three rows, so they still felt close. The railing in front of them gave Jake the satisfaction of knowing that his wife was protected from the rowdier members of the audience. Still no place for a pregnant lady, he told himself. Then, while they were standing comfortably in their row at the Pepsi Center, he heard a scream. He heard his wife's scream. It was loud enough for even a few people nearby to hear over the screeching guitar solo, but not loud enough for them to show any real concern. She buckled at the waist and then fell into the railing in front of her. He had caught her, but it was just as her head had hit the handrail. I'm all right, she said, but it was pretty obvious that she had been concussed. Jake had seen the same glassy look on the faces of teammates during football games in high school. The kids who said, I'm alright coach, before strapping back in and getting their lights knocked out on the next play. The concert went on around them. Just a brief inconvenience. The crowd kept rocking and the stones kept rolling. Jake noticed that her jeans had darkened around the crotch, and it was obvious that they had to leave, which was the only responsible decision he'd made to that point in their pregnancy. Jake assumed that her being pregnant, preggers as she would call it, would somehow make it more likely that she would piss herself, something she already did if she laughed too hard. But when they got into the car, he found out that it wasn't urine. Her jeans above her knee were turning purple, dark purple. 
Jake, what is that? Christ, Jake, what is that? She started shouting as she pressed a finger into her jeans and brought away a dark red smear. Sarah made a small sound like a cat mewing just before she passed out for the first of many times that night. He took her to the hospital, and the blood just kept coming. And then he heard that god-awful laughter, that insane laughter coming from his wife just as they sedated her. A laugh he'd never heard before, but had heard plenty times since that night in the hospital. The doctor had said it was something to do with the concussion and the stress she'd suffered from the situation. He said it was something like shock. Then why in the hell does she still do it? He reflected now, a year later. What about the baby, Doc? What about my son? He asked out loud to the empty house. But that had been obvious. Things had ruptured that couldn't be repaired, like her uterus and their marriage. Looking at the picture in his hand, he thought about how beautiful she was and how strange things had become. He also thought about the week before they'd found out that she'd been pregnant when he'd gotten her drunk a little and done a line of cocaine with her in the bathroom. Just a bump, baby, for old time's sake, he told her before they snorted it and then screwed in the bathroom stall. And it had been like old times. The fucking had been incredible. When the miscarriage happened, Jake could never separate the facts that he'd gotten her drunk and high and that they had lost the baby. He'd killed their child and broken his wife's body just so he could get fucked up with her enough to make it feel good, like he was a man and like he was satisfying her. They didn't make love for three months after the miscarriage. The first six weeks were just standard recovery time, and then after that, she told him that she'd felt broken, as though her most basic human purpose had been taken from her. She had been passive and silent until the night that the laughter started. It didn't start while watching the Goldbergs or after one of his lame jokes that she'd always loved before. What did the scone say when the other scone asked him about the chicken crossing the road? It said, Holy shit, a talking scone! He heard that laughter creeping out from behind a closed bathroom door one evening while she was bathing. At first, he just heard a chuckle, a low and dull chuckle, but eventually she was wailing with harsh laughter. He opened the door cautiously. He almost didn't open the door at all. There is no blueprint for how to react when your wife is laughing like an insane Jack Nicholson from The Shining. But he did open the door, and what he found was that his wife had nicked her vagina with her razor. As the blood trickled out into the water from her hey nanny nanny, as she had called it, she turned to him and said, Look, honey, reservoir twat. From that moment on, she'd been one of two people, a slightly more passive version of the Sarah he'd always known, or an aggressive and insatiable woman. She would insult him and yell. She'd blame him for their financial woes. They were doing fine, despite the fact that he'd convinced her to quit her job. He was making nearly six figures. She'd tell him that he was getting fat. She'd even tell him that he had a tiny, worthless cock, which they both knew wasn't true. His nickname amongst his college friends had been Jake the Snake for a reason. Then, after hours of verbal abuse, they would have aggressive, nearly violent sex. Sex that he'd have to drink himself into having. Sometimes, he'd even have to drink himself into forgetting. She needed help, but so did he. If she needed therapy, then he needed AA classes, and he wasn't ready for that yet. As months went by, Sarah seemed to become more herself. There was less of the crazy laughter and less depression. But saying that your wife laughs like a lunatic only sometimes isn't much of a victory for the home team. In fact, her passivity seemed nearly calculated, as though she was up to something. There was always a telling look, a glint in her eyes, as though some cog were turning a wheel of hilarity that kept a smirk lingering around the edges of her lips. But whatever the joke was, she never told. <laughs> Why is she out jogging now? He said into the empty house. Sarah had taken up jogging recently, but she was usually home by now. Of course, he was usually at work, but sometimes you had to just leave early for a drink. She should have texted me, he thought, but it had been nearly a month since the last time that they'd bothered texting one another. He noticed her phone sitting on the counter and picked it up. He remembered her password, 
It was their wedding month and year. It surprised him that she hadn't changed it. But he was even more surprised by the text message he found. The screen said, delete message. Yes was highlighted, but he selected no instead. It was chilly on the running path. The shade cast by the white oaks and smaller green ash trees kept the midday sun and the sound from the highway out. As she ran, she admired the vines growing along the fences and the handrails built to keep people from wandering away from the path. There were wild roses growing on the hill above, and the creek bed below shimmered in the evening light. In other places, there were hand-planted annuals and a few local flowers that often grew as weeds. Mrs. Jones would have known what they were. Sarah didn't. The further into the path she jogged, the fewer flowers she saw. The forest thickened, and eventually it was just a trail of asphalt leading through the trees lit by lamps that were already buzzing despite the time of day. It's just like in those movies, she thought. Just like the places where girls get raped. The thought made her shudder. But there was another voice that said, Hey, maybe if he looks right. It was just a thought, one of those thoughts that floated up out of nowhere from time to time that Sarah was neither proud of nor could she understand. But there it was, floating up into her head and resting itself in an organic manner. Jogging the entire path would take her all afternoon and would eventually lead her into Burnwood by way of Burnwood Heights. She had no intention of going the full distance. That town was nothing but a bunch of trailer trash meth addicts. Burnwood Heights was a trailer park. What a misleading name, she thought, and then she imagined three trailers stacked on top of one another. A mobile triple-decker. The king's house. And that made her laugh. <laughs> her thoughts were broken up by motion above her. She looked up, and the trees were rustling. Wind, she thought. Though she didn't feel as much as a breath of wind on the path. But way up there at the top of the trees, it was probably a little windy. Wind or horny squirrels? She roared with another laugh. <laughs> the longer she jogged, the more she started to think about Vince coming over that night. Her husband would be out doing God knows what, and she'd be fucking Vince right on top of Jake's paperwork. I may even use one of Honey Dearest's shirts to clean up. Maybe even his precious paperwork. That thought made her wince. Sarah wondered what kind of lady had such messed up thoughts. Maybe Vince will even knock me up. Another thought floated up from that other space where that other Sarah seemed to exist. One who threw in an occasional opinion and cackle. Part of her felt like crying, and another like laughing. She jogged faster. As she ran ahead, with more effort, her thoughts were broken up by the sound of footfalls hitting the path ahead of her. I hope it isn't a man, she thought. It was a sane thought. Burnwood Heights was full of potential criminals. I hope he has a big twanger, was another thought that rose up from that other side of her mind. You shut up, she thought. She didn't think I or me. She thought you. She told this to the alternate Sarah. Sarah cassette tape side B, the side that liked to be fast forward and rewound again and again. It was a man, and he was attractive in a sort of trashy way. He was lean with toned arms that showed off from his cut-off Metallica t-shirt. He had big, puffy, movie star hair, and she thought, he looked like a scruffy, white trash Justin Bieber. She had seen him before. He was the guy you always saw, who hung around after high school, working part-time in some restaurant or another, and smoking dope with high school kids. Part of her thought nothing of him, but the you part of her said, almost out loud, he's not too shabby for a scrawny white dick. Shut the hell up for a while, will you? Sarah thought to herself. When they passed each other, she smiled at him and kept her eyes up and forward despite the urge to direct them downward. He looked her up and down and mumbled something, but she couldn't hear him. And despite her conflicted thinking, she didn't really want to know. Well, he's definitely the kind of bag de la douche that you'd expect from Burnwood, she thought. Then the complimentary thought floated up. 
Yeah, but I've never done it with a younger guy before. Jake stared at the phone, half aware that he'd picked up a tennis ball and was squishing it with his left palm while reading the words repeatedly, trying to make them into something that sounded real or imaginary. But alcohol kept him in a kind of intellectual limbo. Disbelief had passed into numbness that was now being replaced by a growing heat. She's cheating on me, were the words that were repeating in his mind. But they were thin, and he couldn't quite get a grip on them, like grasping at mist. In Jake's mind, the good times were playing. Suddenly, he couldn't remember the fighting and the medical bills. What he saw were all of the good times, like an old and grainy film stock. He saw their first date and wedding night. He saw how they worked together on their first home loan. He saw all of the nights that they spent at their favorite restaurants with their favorite drinks. The late night makeout sessions behind the wheel of his Jeep, her hands slipping all over him as they kissed. All the late summer nights in their apartment, listening to the crickets outside after they had made love. The way she'd cried when he'd slipped down on one knee. The way he had cried when she had said yes. Then the good times were interrupted with that wicked laughter. Jake nearly thought he could hear it in the walls of their home, echoing around him. That was the sound of his new Sarah. That was the sound of the bad times. The sound of blood and arguments. It was the sound of his detachment and irresponsibility. His refusal to be a man when his wife became pregnant. His refusal to be her foundation when she was so clearly struggling. He drank and paced, and when the guilt and anger seemed to boil up and over at every attempt to stifle or subdue it, Furniture began to flip. He turned over the couch, hardly able to feel the strain it had put on his back. And when he did, the coffee table tipped. The picture of their honeymoon was on the floor again. He picked up the picture from the coffee table, and his eyes caught something in the blur that his vision had become. He struggled for comprehension as the photo blurred in and out of focus. One moment, it would be he and his wife, arm in arm, and the next, it was a stranger kissing her, a faceless man with his hand groping the inside of Sarah's bikini top. Before Jake knew it, he was watching a large, faceless man screw his wife against a palm tree through broken glass in an equally broken frame. She was screaming in pleasure, and Jake could hear it. She was screaming just like those women with the beach ball jugs that he sometimes watched on his iPad in the guest bathroom after Sarah had gone to sleep. Except these weren't porn stars. This was his wife. And what the man inside the frame was packing made Jake the Snake insecure. Jake went back to Sarah's phone and texted, at home, all alone, and wearing black. Then he let his finger hover over sinned. He drained the rest of the bottle, pushed the button, and then went back to his bedroom safe and got his gun. The forest along the Burnwood jogging path was so thick that it blocked out almost all of the sunlight, but despite this, there was lush undergrowth. If nosy old Mrs. Jones had been there, she would have known immediately that something wasn't right. Sarah didn't even notice. The forest was intimidating in how thick and old it looked. I'm like that little hobbit running in the forest, she thought. It was something like ganghorn or fanghorn. She wasn't the nerd. Jake was the one who was well-versed in wizards and elves. Tangporn. That thought sent her off into a round of laughter that made birds flee the branches of a tree like a burst of black confetti. While she laughed, she was too distracted to notice that the vines growing along the sides of the path shifted. Perhaps they moved by only a centimeter on either side, but it would have been perceptible had it not been for the laughter. Above her, the trees rustled again, and an acorn fell. Squirrels cutting nuts, she thought, as she jogged past the nut lying on the ground. 
She didn't know anything about acorns, other than they had that famous shape like a bullet wearing a golfing hat. Didn't know that they were that big, she thought. It looked to be about the size of a baseball. But she was no naturalist. That was the crazy old kook that lived next door to her. Overhead and out of her sight, a squirrel and another one chattered back and forth. Then there was a choking sound and a snapping sound. The squirrels went silent as one's body dropped from the branches and dangled on the end of a limp vine. All Sarah heard was the sound of her involuntary and obnoxious laughter and the late 90s rap playing in her earbuds. Jake was sitting with the honeymoon picture in his right hand and his 9mm in his left. He'd rubbed a sore spot on the side of his temple with the barrel. The small horror porn had stopped playing, but the drinking hadn't. He'd even gone into the bathroom and grabbed a bottle of Sarah's medication. What he'd ingested, he didn't know. Now he was just staring at a picture of he and his wife. Seeing them arm in arm and happy was almost worse than the hallucination. He wants me to wear black, Jake thought as he got up from his chair and then burst out into his best Sarah laugh. It was eerie hearing it echo through the empty house, but he was too drunk to care. The phone buzzed, and it was Loverboy. I'm on my way. I'll park down the street and come in through the garage door. Just leave it open. That's not the only thing you want to leave her to leave open, Jake said. He only snickered this time, and Spittle fell down his chin as he did. A couple hours earlier that day, Jake was planning nothing more dangerous than a couple of drinks and a trip to Louisa Laney's strip joint. Where Superman come for a good time, the t-shirt said. He'd been planning on seeing his favorite girl, Betsy. She was short, with huge tits, skin as white as snow, and blonde hair always in pigtails. And the carpet matched the drapery, which he seemed to like. Now there would be no Betsy, because Jake was planning on killing a man. It was an organic feeling that had cooled the fire that had been building in his chest. He felt a numbness, a satisfactory control. And control was a feeling that he hadn't felt in a long time. He also felt as though the world were light and he was floating through it. Soon, he'd be feeling the spins and the world would come crashing down in a puddle of vomit. But not yet. He had work to do. He picked up the phone and texted back. In the Lavinji room, whirring black. Despite the misspellings, it was perhaps the most coherent drunk text that he had ever sent. And that was reason to smile. The grin that spread across his face was unhinged and uneven, full of lunacy. Ah, fine, something black to wear, he said into the empty house. It seemed to echo back that it was a fine idea. And that if he looked in her drawers, he would find something perfect. The house seemed to whisper to him what he should do and where he should go. A headshot photo of him that was hung on the wall seemed to nod in agreement. He stumbled down the hallway. In the bedroom, he dug through the dresser, at first struggling to remember which drawers were his and which were hers. There was a picture of he and Sarah at a friend's wedding rehearsal dinner. On the left, the miniature Jake said from the picture frame. The Sarah next to him was stepping away, towards a faceless stranger in the background. He focused and the picture became still. Just a captured moment. But then he relaxed and gave in. The picture roared back into motion and he chuckled into the empty house. Or, or, or here? Jake asked. No, my left. Yeah, that one. There, that, that, that's it. Look for the black thong. Ooh, Jake crooned as he rubbed the lace thong across his face. It stuck to his stubble like Velcro. He found a matching black bra and stripped down to put it on. Good, now what else? The Jake picture asked. A girl gotta have lipstick, he said as he went to the bathroom and dug until he found a stick of dark red lipstick. He smeared it all over his face. 
As he passed through the bedroom, his eyes went to the full-length mirror. There was an ugly woman looking back at him, standing in the last light of dusk that was coming through the window. He had red lipstick smeared across his lips and cheeks. His puffy flabs stuck out from the strained lace bra straps. Then there was his Jake the Snake, hanging out from the thong on one side and the rest of the package divided by the lace. From the picture frame on the dresser, the Sarah side of the picture shrieked with laughter as she toppled over onto the floor with a faceless stranger. The room filled with a green pulsating color as the booze and pills mixed in Jake's guts. Somewhere in the middle of the Burnwood jogging path, Sarah began to hear footsteps coming from behind her. They were distant but loud, and seemed to be coming fast. Suddenly aware of her embarrassment from the previous encounter, Sarah felt urged to get off of the path, so she slipped between two large trees, nearly tearing her tank top. Ditch it! You got a bra on, a voice said in her head. The kid with the puffy hair trotted past. Holler at him! You need to get that ass into the bushes, she thought. Shut up, she said to herself. But then she felt something move behind her, and she choked on a scream as she turned and fell back onto the path. It was only a vine hanging down pendulously. She laughed and laid back on the path, and if not for her laughter, she would have heard the jogging man's screams cut short in the distance. Dylan Matterson was searching the pockets of his gym shorts and listening to Rev Theory on his iPod. He was panting like a fat sheepdog. I've really got to quit, he thought, despite the fact that he was digging through his pockets for a celebratory sig that he'd packed away for the end of his run. He still had some running left to do, but who the hell was going to tell him not to? He pulled a broken Marlboro out of his pocket and shrugged. Fuck it, he said as he brought the lighter to what was left of the filtered end of the cigarette. If a smoke takes three minutes off your life, a jog has to add it back on, he thought. Three years prior, he'd been a varsity basketball player with letters of interest from multiple colleges. One youthful DUI later, he was a part-time banquet worker who sold weed to make a living. Working out was just a residual effect from a lifetime of athletic training. Smoking was a residual from a father who gave him a cigarette for his 12th birthday and a mother who was too battered to object. That is what his life was, a residual effect. He bobbed his head as he leaned against the entry to the Burnwood side of the jogging path and blew large puffs of smoke into the air. Fantasies of the woman he'd passed jogging swam through his pot-tarnished mind. Would have loved to have banged her. Before he completely drifted off into a daydream, his eyes caught the glister of green light of something on the pathway. He dropped his cigarette and stamped it out under his foot. He had another in his pocket somewhere. He strutted over to see what it was and saw a smooth green stone about a foot wide, like an embedded jewel in the shape of an eye in the middle of the path. Where did you come from? Dylan said to himself. He jogged this path several times a week, and he had never noticed this before. On the northward-facing portion of the stone, the asphalt was still smoldering and broken. Dylan picked up a stick and went to see if he could clear away any of the asphalt. But then the asphalt moved. The broken edges were like a thick liquid that softened and then solidified. The sidewalk just healed, is what Dylan thought. The smoke disappeared and Dylan reached out his hand and touched it. It was cool. A light appeared in the green stone. It was an, an, an eye trapped in the translucent rock, and it glowed with a green iridescence. Dylan began to scream, and then a wisp of light, like smoke, floated into his eyes and nostrils. His head tipped back, and his mouth fell open, and his scream was replaced by a sharp inhalation. His blue eyes shone bright with new specks of green in his irises, and he smiled, stood, and waited.
From the living room, Jake saw a black car drive slowly by. He got up and staggered to a chair in the corner of the room where it was dark, just out of the reach of the lamplight. He'd pieced the room back together as well as a drunk man could, and then he put his leg out so that only it was visible in the light. It was freshly shaved, covered in black fishnet stockings, and his foot was crammed into a red high heel. From the dark, he had thought, it was like he was fishing, and his pudgy shaved leg was the bait. If Sarah had been jogging through these woods a few moments earlier, she would have, perhaps, witnessed a large meteoric stone sitting in the center of the path. Perhaps she would have seen the unnaturally green, superheated stone cooling as the flow lines of its melted surface seemed to fade until a perfectly smooth, slightly translucent stone formed. A moment later, she perhaps would have seen the asphalt open up like a tar rib cage of an ancient and long dead animal and cover the stone, pulling it back into the earth before the ground folded back over it, the asphalt healing until it looked like nothing more than a place where a tree root had deformed the surface of the pathway. So she never saw the green stone embedded into the surface at all. Sarah missed all of that, even though she tripped where the stone had embedded. Then, a young man came stumbling out of the trees, with roots growing from one nostril into his mouth. Sarah saw the asphalt blink open like an ancient reptilian eye. From outside the house, Vince could see only the slight glow of the lamp in the living room window. Other than that, it was all dark. The street was dark. The house was dark. And all the neighbors seemed settled in for the night. He stepped out of the car and dropped a cigarette onto the ground and stamped it with his foot. He liked getting a good buzz going before he fucked them. He wasn't a smoker, usually. He just liked getting going a bit before doing work. The best part of being a traveling salesman had been the lonely housewives. Every neighborhood had them, and he'd nearly had one in every neighborhood. This crazy Sarah bitch was the only one that he'd ever gone back for seconds on. She was just a little too wild, and he couldn't just get her out of his head. Vince slipped into the garage and opened the door. The house was dark, and there were a couple of candles lit in the mudroom. Mood set, baby, Vince said. There was a sort of grumble in response, a sort of moan. All right, warming up for me. I dig your style, baby. Where you at? He asked as he rounded the corner into the living room, starting to strip off his clothes. He could see her leg from the shin down sticking out of the corner in the living room. She had heels on. He could see the glow of cell phone light for just a moment, but not long enough to see her. Then his phone buzzed. Close your eyes and give me your gift, the text message said beneath the name Sexy Black Bitch. He took out a package he'd brought in with him. He stepped forward and with his eyes closed, handed the package above the lamp. Their hands touched and for a moment he thought they felt swollen, perhaps, and more calloused than he remembered. But he kept his eyes closed. He heard a sort of gasp from the other side of the lamp. It was feminine enough, but he thought it sounded like she'd lost her voice. I told you I was as freaky-deaky as you, baby, he said with a grin. He opened his eyes and saw the leg disappear into the darkness. Then, above the lamplight, like a campfire storyteller, with a flashlight beneath his chin, a blood-red smeared face appeared above the barrel of a gun. The other hand held his present, a long black strap-on.
As Sarah fought her assailant, instinct and adrenaline was giving way to her other side. Don't fucking take it from this little bitch. Give it to him. He gonna rape you? You pussy, fuck that. Rape him. Sarah was too frightened. She was fighting like a trapped and injured animal, too scared to think, to strategize or plan. Okay, you aren't going to listen to me? Step aside, bitch. That new and other Sarah said. Dylan, who wasn't really Dylan anymore, was too horrified to appreciate the situation. He was going to have sex with that hot, mixed-breed bitch who'd been all alone on the path. He may have even been okay with getting a junior in high school, a girl five years younger than him, so blacked-out drunk that she didn't really have much of a say. But if she was drunk and he was drunk, well, it takes two to tango. But violent rape was nothing he ever saw himself participating in. Now he was seeing himself, and he had no control. He could see and feel and hear everything that was happening, but it was all faint. He was not in the driver's seat in his own mind. His new guest was there with him. He could, he could see it. Stretched out across the windows that his eyes seemed to be from the recesses of his mind, there were, there were vines, roots and nettles stretching throughout the whole of his being. But there was an intent living in them that was ancient and terrible. Deep inside his mind, he felt reduced. And in another chamber, there was growing some horrible thing that was being conceived in the pit of his being. He caught a glimpse of a form sitting high amongst the thorns. It was a black shadow with a head shaped as though it were wearing a crown, and eyes that were green. It squatted up there, looking at him, one long-fingered hand curled into a fist resting against its chin. So as he sat, cowering and pissing himself in the back corners of his mind, he realized it wasn't piss that he was feeling. For a brief moment, it allowed him to see from his own eyes and feel his body again. There was something very stiff and intrusive feeling its way up his leg, a smooth root. It inserted itself in his backside, and as though in response, the front raised into attention, and a flower bloomed from a place that made Dylan decide to completely give in and fade away. The last thing he saw was the woman's hand grappling to get away. He wanted to scream for her to get away, but then her hand touched the stone. What's happening? Sarah asked. I don't fucking know, Sarah sighed B spat. It's a little more crowded in here than we expected, a thought, a voice said in the darkness. Sarah whimpered, and the interloper grew in strength. Sarah sighed B laughed and it tried to withdraw a little. This mind isn't whole, it said in its thoughts, nor this body whole. This vessel is broken, the whispers echoed. Sarah wept. Sarah sighed B, gnashed teeth that were only a construct. We can make you whole. We can give you what you need, it said. Sarah thought, yes, please. Give me my child back. We need a physical form, it said. Shut up and fuck me, Sarah's side B screeched with laughter. Dylan was lifted into the air, vines coming from his back like puppet strings. His eyes were wide, and flowers bloomed from the sockets. Sarah alternated between screaming and laughing as the vines tried to invade her body too. Large, leaf-like appendages sprouted from Dylan's back, and the last thought to cross Sarah's mind before the union was consummated was that he looked like some type of trailer trash meth fairy. As the green stone looked from one of them to the other, and the vines tried to attach to Sarah, suddenly she tore free of them, laughing maniacally. She climbed the vines 
and she, true to her word, fully embraced the situation, and the eye stone darted back and forth nervously as Sarah Side B had her way with the possessed body of Dylan Madison. The next day, Sheriff Marston from the local department received several phone calls that reported strange sounds from the forest. There had been no storm that night, but there were downed power lines from town all the way to Burnwood. There were cars that looked as though they had been crushed by heavy, fallen branches. But there were no branches. Roofs were damaged, but there was no hail. On his morning patrol, he drove past Mrs. Jones' house, and across the street he saw a glimmer of something in the trees. He got out of his car and walked closer to take a look. At first he thought it was just a piece of plastic that had blown in the wind. But when he got closer, he saw the bright reflection of metal. It was twisted and broken. It was the front bumper of a car. And the top of a large oak tree? He had the guys from the power company use their lift to bring it down, and he inspected it. The license plate was gone, and there was a little bit of plastic from the vehicle's panels attached to it. It had belonged to a black car, but nothing else was evident. Next door to Mrs. Jones, the grass was nearly four feet high, and he could have sworn it grew another quarter inch while he looked at it. Jake awoke to the sound of the alarm clock. There was a lingering image from a dream that a man was being ripped apart by the forest while an ugly woman in black lingerie looked on. But dreams were fleeting and difficult to recall after a moment. He rolled over to find that Sarah was there in bed with him, and he put his arm around his wife, and his hand caressed her pregnant belly. She was in her second trimester. There was a queer feeling rising up inside of him, an alarm saying, Something isn't right! But then it faded away, and he slept next to his wife in the green glow of the morning light. Do you ever have feelings? Ah! Jesus! Brett! What what are you what are you, what are you doing? Asking you a question, Matt. What were you doing? Did I catch you in an act of ritualized self-abuse? What? No. I'm doing a home workout. Yes, and doing a handstand in your underwear. That's a very creative workout. I, I was doing uh, inverted, uh... What do you want? An answer, Matt. How do people deal with having feelings? I think I'm gonna need clothes on for this. Would you feel more comfortable if I took mine off? Dude. Ugh. You're such a creep. Oh, thank you. She paid me the same compliment. Who? The holy apparition at the ley lines. Oh, yeah. How did that go? Where's Puggles? I let the pig go. As part of my association with Nambla. What? Nambla? You're a fucking nim- member of the North American Man-Boy Love Association? Oh, no, no. 
the North American Man Beast Lovers Association. Matt, you know how I feel about the eating of sentient beings, and also their captivity. Thank God. That was going to be too much. Wait, you let Puggles go? I saw her approaching, and I couldn't reconcile meeting one so pristine while holding another in captivity. I let him go as she passed the bushes where we were waiting. I thought I'd missed my chance, but that is when she saw the pig. She called him cute. Granted, I expected more from such a being of her station. But I stepped out from behind the bushes and told her that I thought she looked very educated. She was so impressed that she stood speechless, quivering in delight. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm sure there's some kind of alert being put out right now. Have you ever been on a registry of any kind? No, I don't vote. As she stood speechless, I told her she had a very intelligent appearance. A Roman nose. A Habsburg jaw. A Mona Lisa smile. That is when she flattered me by calling me a creep. And that's when I knew she understood. I feel like there's part of this story missing. The part where a red handprint appears on the side of your face and then the cops get called. She delightedly took the pig. And he delightedly followed her. He appreciated the freedom, your captive pig. I could tell by the glimmer in his eye. He was my wingswine. I could tell he was working on my side. Because as he walked away, he looked back and winked at me. The last thing I saw was my holy apparition walking away in the sunset, and the pig's phallus dragging on the ground behind them as they rounded the bend. Ah, here's the pig now. Puggles! Good pig, you came back. Just to think, Brett was going to let you go. Oh, the nice lady gave you kisses. There are little lipstick kisses all over. Wait, lipstick shouldn't smear that easily. Or drip. This whole experience inspired me to write something. Something unusual. Something with feelings. Yeah, Norman Bates had feelings too. Yes, and Kathy Bates, too, in Misery. I wrote a romance about encountering an apparition of beauty in the most earthly and unlikely of places. Did it involve chains, storm cellars, and promises that it only hurts because of your feelings? No. I feel like that's every romance novel, Matt. Try to be original. This love is the diamond found in the pit of human feces. Brett and I would like to thank the new fans and listeners that we've been receiving lately. Uh, We also want to encourage you guys to rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, Anything will help. You've got to leave a review for the rating to matter, but it'll help us climb the charts. And we think it would be so awesome to see a title like Monster Porn on the new and noteworthy section of iTunes. Let's make it happen, Monsterbaiters. It cannot be done without you. I am the desolator of ha, Becky's yoga pants. Monster Porn is a production of Warped Box Media. Today's story was written by Matt Cummins. Music by Brett Norwood. Rate and review on iTunes. DM us your mailing address and I will write you a love letter. Shut up, human! This piggy's gotta run to markets. Got a hot date.
Even more so, he looked like Patrick off of SpongeBob SquarePants with his purplish sunburned skin. Sunburned? Sunburned. I know it's all like coming out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he has a big twanger was another thought god I need to say that less hillbilly it was the sound of the depat the depatchment that's a word that is a real word depatchment it's like you know when you have an eye patch on and you take it off you're depatching uh-huh. it's <laughs> also a synth pop band from Denmark <laughs> is that true and still, there was enough. Or what? Oh, but and still, okay. Sorry, I can. My writing confused me. Confuses all um, this mess. Okay, blocked out all of the sunlight and. But, despite, <laughs> there was an ugly woman. Looking back at him and standing in the light, it was only a vine hanging pendulous. The pendulous She laughed and laid back on the path, and if not for her laughter, she would have heard the jogging man's cream. Cream. He was just creaming all over the trees and the bushes and the path. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, I like the ending of this story better. <laughs> he pulled a broken Marlboroer. How the fuck do you say that? I remember this one last time. Butchered it a hundred times. <laughs> On the northward facing portion of the stone, uh, it was like an eye in the translucent. Ro- uh, that, that, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> So she never saw the green boat bone. The green bone. That's what's coming, though. The green, the green bone. <laughs>